So when I uh, was in kindergarten, about kindergarten, grade one, around there, I, I grew up in southern Ontario, right on the sh lake shore, lake shores of Lake Erie. And so I uh, spent a lot of time going to the beach, a lot of time uh, enjoying the, the lake that was there. And um, coming home one day on, a bu on the bus, I remember very clearly uh, being very anxious because I was very concerned about uh, certain, uh, uh, certain people who were in trouble. I had seen it on TV the day before and I was concerned about it. So I wanted to get home and see, you know, turn the TV on and see what happened. Um, there was a, sh a little boat, it was a touring boat. And uh, I guess, uh, I mean, they were, I guess, caught in a storm and got in trouble. Now the mate was a mighty sailing man, the skipper brave and sure, and there were five passengers who sailed that day on a three-hour tour. A three-hour tour, right? And this is uh, the only remnant we have of that uh, ship, so we're not quite sure what happened after that. No matter what happened uh, on Gilligan's Island, they never got rescued. Now I know there was a movie, I think came out after the show, where they got rescued. I didn't like that movie, I hated it, because it was more fun when they weren't rescued, they were, they were stuck on the island. But no matter what happened, they would have maybe something, would, someone would come by, remember the mosquitoes came by that group, and they, they were gonna get them off the island, but that didn't work out, and then they maybe built this kind of radio, and that didn't work out. And they had all these ideas to get off the island, but they never got rescued. And that was, the, I guess, the intrigue of the show. We enjoyed that. Uh, and the, the, you know, it, was, it was fun as kids. But when it comes to, um, when it comes to us as, as human beings, when it comes to the fact uh, of what Jesus claimed, the idea of being rescued um, and people not being rescued is, is a very serious thing. And so this morning, I want to take a few minutes to talk about God as our rescuer. And Jesus, what he claimed was quite incredible. And what he claimed, if he, if he claimed it, if it's true, it's not, just, it's not just true for this church or churches, it's true for everyone. It's a, it's a claim for the world. So this morning, if you'd follow along with me, I entitled this, I am your rescuer. I am your rescuer. Jesus uh, made a lot of claims. And if we were to read through the New Testament, you might be kind of surprised at what he said. Now, if he is our rescuer, here are some questions that we can start with. Can he really rescue me? Can he really rescue me? Is he the only rescuer? And maybe a question you might say is, why do I even need to be rescued? I mean, I, my life is okay. I, I go to work every day. I have a family. I have a a nice, maybe a nice car in the garage. I go on vacation every year. Uh, I, I really don't think I need to be rescued. But the claims that he makes makes it very clear that we all need to be rescued. Jesus made this claim. And he's the only one, as far as he says, can make this claim. Now we have, uh, if you see the back doorway there, we have those banners back there. That's where those banners, this is where they come from, John 14, verse 6. Jesus said, and he uses that term, I am, I am the way, I am the truth, 
I am the life. He uses the definite article, the. I am the way, the truth, the life. And then he goes even further. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. Now that's quite a statement to make, right? That's quite a claim to make. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other name. There's no other name under heaven, the Bible says. Now, we have to ask the question then, we have to deal with this claim because it's, a, it's, a, it's a quite a large claim. C.S. Lewis kind of put it this way, and either we have to totally dismiss what he is saying because either he is delusional, that he's the only way, or he's evil. Or the only other alternative is this. You need to accept it as truth. Amen. There's nothing else in between. It has been very critical for the entire world. If he is the way, the truth, the life to, to God, Amen. Then, then we have to take him very seriously. Amen. He never gave the option of being a good moral teacher. If you'd ask the average person probably today on the street who Jesus was, they'd say, well, he's, maybe he was a revolutionary, maybe he was a good guy, maybe he was a moral teacher, maybe a good example, but he never gave that option. He said, I am. He called himself God. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And every time he used the word I, or phrase I am, they knew exactly what he was saying. He was calling himself God. The term in, in, in the Greek is ego imi. We would say I, I am. It means I exist. That's what he's saying. I exist as the way, I exist as the life, I exist as the truth. And he kept saying it over and over. So we have to ask the question, this is the claims of the Bible. So is the Bible trustworthy, first of all? Okay, let me just kind of briefly touch on that. If, if Jesus said this in the Bible and it's in there, can we trust the Bible? The Bible says this about itself. All Scripture, all Scripture, Scripture simply means writings. Everything that we have in this book that, that is written down. It, was, it came to us in Hebrew in the Old Testament, mostly, a little Aramaic, and Greek in the New Testament. So the way it was written, the way it was given to us, it says all of these writings are God-breathed. That's its claim. Amen. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It also says this in 2 Peter, that those who wrote it, the men who spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, it claims that it wasn't just man's writings. It was God through people writing. So that's the claim. Again, how do, we, how do we take that? If this is true, you'd expect this book to change lives, to be free of errors and inconsistencies, to have a great punch in terms of its effect. Wouldn't you, you expect that if it was from God, right? And yes, we see lives dramatically changed by the words of this book. We see people willing to give their lives for the Lord of this book over the last 2,000 years plus. <laughs> Now this is my personal this is this is my personal page here for B, Pastor Dave. Amen. I am fully persuaded by a lifetime, and I've, I've I'll be 54 this year. I am fully persuaded, and I continue to grow in my love for this book, because this book tells me about my Lord. I am fully persuaded by four main areas that what the Bible claims to be true about Jesus is true. Here's the first one: it changed me, and it continues to. It changed me. I think I'm running out of 
There we go. There we go. Is that better? It changed me and it continues to. I mean, the, the words in this book have been incredible in my life. As I think back over the last, you know, again, 50 some years, uh, the Bible has been, it's just, it's just powerful. It brought me to my, in my early years to understanding that God loved me, understanding of the cross. And then as I went to my teens, my 20s, it became like, okay, well, are you going to follow me with your whole life? And as time went on, just, just as I struggled with things and, and, and through, through my sins and all those, everything in my life, it just became very real to me as I began to understand God through it. Secondly, it, the amazing predictions and prophecies being fulfilled in the Bible. We look at when Jesus first came as a baby, four to five hundred years before that, there were, there were so many prophecies given about how he'd be born, where he'd be born, how he would die, who like, would be at the cross, uh, over and over, how in his ministry, those he would touch and affect. The third thing that over 40 writers wrote over 2,000 years, this book put together, and there's a consistent theme and spirit about the whole book. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jeremiah. There's no other book in, this, in the world that does this for me. I mean, I enjoy reading books. I, I enjoy going to, a, you know, to chapters and getting a book. But I don't reread the books. I don't memorize the books. They don't touch my soul like the Bible does. The fourth thing is Jesus. The one presented in Scripture is incredible. When you think about, I mean, who would make up a person like this? Who could make up a person like this? Who could make up the words he, had, he spoke? I mean, is it, are these the words of a madman or an evil imposter? There's no way. If you read through, you know, the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, just for example... You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. I mean, these are words of, of, of incredible, life-changing wisdom. Amen. And so this is, for me, what has persuaded me. But again, this is very subjective. This is about my life. Um, this is my testimony. There's nothing scientifically objective necessarily here. Though I think, I mean, I think it is uh, very clear. So Jesus said, I tell you the truth. He said to them, I tell you the truth. So either he's lying or he's telling the truth, right? He's saying this is the truth. Before Abraham was born, Abraham being the Old Testament uh, patriarch, several thousand years before Jesus came, before Abraham was born, I am. What he's saying is that before Abraham, that historical figure was there, I existed. I didn't start in Bethlehem at year zero, or whatever year it was. He was eternally there. The, the, the Word became flesh. Amen. He was God. Amen. Yes. He says of, his, of God, his Father, he says, I and the Father are one. And then they picked up stones to stone him. They wanted to kill him. Why? For blasphemy. Because, he said, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. They were saying, how dare you, Jesus? How dare you claim to be God? What are you doing? Every time he said, I am, they knew exactly what he was saying. Yes. And they wanted to, they wanted to end his life. I am, or Yahweh in the Old Testament, simply means I am ever present to rescue you. See, this is where it comes back to uh, being rescued. 
Uh, when, when Moses went to the, when, when God said, go to the Egyptians and tell them to take my people out, he said, well, who should I say sent me? Say, I am who I am. I am there. I'm ever present to rescue you. That's the idea here. The first, we see this throughout the, the book of John. Jesus over and over used the term I am. Every time he did, he was proclaiming himself to be God. I am the bread of life, which means the only food for your soul. I am the light of the world, which is the one true light that gets us out of darkness. I am the door for the sheep and the good shepherd, the one to God, the one way to God and his care. I am the resurrection and the life, the one true deliverer from death. And I am the true vine, the one source of true life for this life. I mean, it's incredible what he was claiming. Praise God. He didn't claim to be a good moral teacher and like just, yeah. you know, just obey your parents and just live a good life. He claimed to be I am. So the question then is this. If, if, that, if you think, yes, I think Dave, you're right. I think what you're saying is true. I think as you have presented in a very simple way here, I believe that. Now, I think most of you in this room would probably claim to, to know the Lord. I really do. But I think in a room, any room like this, I can, never, I can never guarantee that everyone has a relationship with Christ. I never want to assume that because until eternity comes, you know, we're, we're going to be surprised one day that maybe people who we thought were believers weren't. They, maybe they went to church their whole life. But they never, they never came to a relationship with him. They never had their sins forgiven. And so that's why this morning, maybe this is a very elementary kind of a sermon, but I think it's important that we do this once in a while. Okay, so here's the, the question to ask. How can you and I be rescued? And Jesus said this, I came to seek and to save the lost. Think about the island again. Think about being part of that you know, shipwreck, whatever, you're lost, you're on an island. You're separated from, from where you need to be. And it says, I came to seek and to save the lost. Now, who are those who are, are lost? Who are they? What kind of people are they? Jesus, in the very first words he spoke in Matthew chapter 5, the very first sermon that is recorded says this. Blessed, the word blessed simply means your soul your deep down soul happiness. This, that's maybe a simple way to put it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Now who are the poor in spirit? The word poor here simply means bankrupt. I'm not sure if uh, any of you have ever had financial difficulties. I hope not. Bankruptcy, I know we have people who deal with bankruptcies all the time in their business. But bankruptcy is one of those things where you have nothing, right? You're, you're, you own nothing, you have nothing at that point. Jesus said, to come to God, you need to be, realize you are spiritually bankrupt. You are spiritually bankrupt. If you come to God and say, well, God, I've done this, I've been, I've been baptized, I've done communion, I've, I've given to people all my life, but I've never received Jesus, I've never received that forgiveness, then you are spiritually bankrupt. It's not the stuff we do that makes us spiritually rich. It's the forgiveness that we receive in Christ that makes us rich. To get the kingdom of heaven, we need to start by being poor in spirit. Where you say, God, I can't do it. I, I, I could try to be righteous. I could try to do all these things, which aren't, these are all good things to do, but not to 
be saved. But in response to it, what is our rescue vessel? What is the, what is the, the raft that gets us off the island? Well, the raft that gets us off the island is really a, an old wooden one. It's not very, you know, seaworthy, it would seem. So if I'm on the island, I'm looking this way, and this is my island, I'm thinking, there's got to be a way off the island. There's got to be someplace. Someone has to get me off this island. Maybe, maybe that religion, maybe this religion, maybe this thought, maybe this philosophy. And then I look behind me, and I see a little raft there, shaped like a cross. And God says, I want you to come and step on this raft. And this raft will get you off the island. This raft will rescue you. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. That cross that we, we in a month from now, we'll be looking at Easter. The cross is what frees us from the island, from, allows us to be rescued. What doesn't allow us to be rescued is, is our sin. Now, a well-known verse that we all know well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, one and only son. Whoever believes in him. That's so simple. So if I'm standing on the island looking this way, and I'm thinking, well, there's a little raft behind me like a cross. What am I supposed to do? I can turn around and look at it and say, well, yeah, I believe God. Does that save me? Or do I need to, by faith, take the step and step on the cross? James says that faith without actions is dead. That even the demons believe that God exists. It's not just enough to have a head knowledge of God. It's not just enough to think, well, I believe that God exists. The Lord always says, I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Or in this situation... Maybe step on the cross and follow me. Whoever believes, this is, this is how simple it is. Whoever believes in me, it's not whoever, whoever keeps the Ten Commandments, it's not whoever does the, the good deeds, those are all good things. It's not who takes communion, it's not who gets baptized, it's do you believe in me? And the one question that we all need to settle is do you believe that Jesus is the rescuer he claims to be? Amen, he sure is. I want to just uh, lead us in a prayer. I would like to lead us in a prayer. And if in your hearts, and it, you, you don't need to pray anything out loud, but in your hearts you want to pray along with me. Amen. And then after, please come talk to me if you'd like to. But would you pray with me? All, let's, all, let's all pray together. Lord Jesus, you are the great I am. That means you are ever present to rescue me. I believe you rescued me on the cross. I believe my sins were paid for on the cross. And I just need to believe in you. And I give my life to you this morning. And I begin to walk with you. And Lord, fill me with your spirit that I might live that life. 
Lord, I thank you that my sins are forgiven. I love you, Jesus. The last verse is this. The Lord said to those who weren't believing, he said this. I see, he said, I told you that you would die in your sin if you don't believe that I am the one I claim to be. And you will indeed die in your sins. You don't want to do that. You don't want to be paying for your own sin because you never will. There isn't purgatory. There isn't like this limited time. If we take our sins to eternity with us, we pay for them for eternity. That's how serious sin is to God. And so the choice is all of ours. Do we receive the gift of eternal life or do we say no? No. I'll deal with this myself in my own way. And that's tragic. As we prepare for communion this morning, and then we're going to have a meal together after so you can stick around and it'd be awesome. But... Um, we're going to sing the old rugged cross. I think it's a great song dealing with this. And so I invite the team forward as we prepare for communion.